Okay, guys, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to talk about faithfulness today. We're going to talk about suffering, too. We don't talk about suffering very much anymore, but we're going to talk about that. And it, it seems appropriate that this being Paul's last known letter, when he is in prison facing death, that he would address this issue of suffering and talk about faithfulness. So we're going to talk about those things today and see how they apply to our lives. So when we get to that portion of Scripture, we'll, we should have, I hope you would interject and, and uh, share some things and your thoughts about that, because we live in a world today, in our Western world, where that seems like a foreign concept to us, and we have developed some thoughts about God about this, but the Scripture teaches otherwise. So we're going to look at that today, okay? So let's look at verses 8 through 12, first of all, in chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. All right, so let's talk, first of all, about not being ashamed, okay? And I think this is, I think this is relevant to where we are today, because in our culture that is... First of all, quickly shifting. Does everybody recognize that our culture is quickly shifting today? Would you, would you agree with that? I mean, just leave the politics out of it, okay? Uh, politics only confuses, but the fact of the matter, if you left the politics out of it, our culture in North America is shifting rather quickly. And, and one of the things that's very much shifting among our culture is is the culture's attitude towards Christians. Have you noticed that? It's, it's been shifting rather rapidly. So much so that, uh, you know, you see things like, you know, judges who are appearing before Senate hearings, and now they're being asked about why are they an active Christian in their church or an active Catholic. Those things never used to be asked. But like that somehow disqualifies them from addressing the issues that face our culture. You, you know what I'm saying? So we're, we're, we're watching this happen, and it's not just in one party towards Christianity, it's across, doesn't matter what party you're from, the attitudes are shifting towards believers. And so sometimes it might be easier just to tell people that you're not a Christian. Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? Rather than deal with the flack, okay, from people giving you a response that you don't like. 
What we're going to see is, is that what we're worried about now has always been prevalent in the church and was very prevalent in Paul's day. And he's going to say that, tell us not to be ashamed of who we are. Okay, so let's take a look. First of all, the call. Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ and his captivity. Not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ and his captivity. So the first thing you don't need to apologize about, and the one thing that you don't need to uh, be concerned about is Jesus, okay? And the fact that people don't like him. I'm going to submit to you that people have not always liked Jesus. It's just that they weren't vocal about it before. Because Christianity may have been a dominant cultural influence before, it's not anymore. So now, because it's no longer a cultural influence as it has been, people aren't afraid to say that they disagree. That's why we see the rise of the nuns in our culture. Nuns are people who say they're nothing, okay? They don't claim to be anything. So they're, they're willing to tell you, hey, I don't agree with you, okay? Or I think that's crazy. And, and so that's happening now. So he's saying to you, don't, don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ and don't be ashamed of Christians like Paul who are suffering for their faith. Do you understand? Don't be ashamed of people like Paul who are suffering for their faith. Now, here's the next point I want you to see. Now, this is the one where we're going to have a lot of difficulty with. We might accept what it's saying, but we're going to have difficulty with what Paul is saying here. I want you to look at verse 8. Look at what he says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. And what's he saying here? Timothy is called to share in the sufferings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does that mean? Okay. Okay, all right, that's good, Bruce. Bruce is talking about in the specific thing here of you're called to suffer for your faith, okay? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? I'm not feeling anything this morning, George. The coffee hasn't hit me yet. What, how do you feel about that? China, okay? None yep. of us really have seen that, but they act, a lot of them act like, and the apostles act like it was a ple- not a pleasure, but a, uh, an honor to suffer for the gospel. Yes, I've met people who've been in communist countries who have felt, yes, that it was an honor to suffer as he did. Now, that's beyond our comprehension, right? Yes. Yes, so far. Yes, so far. Okay. How do you feel about what Paul's saying here? I guess what I'm trying to say to you is, is what Paul's saying here in the text, if, if you just heard some preacher telling you that you're going to suffer for your faith, you could blow him away and you could just kind of say, I don't know if I agree with you, George. This is America. Okay? And we've always had churches and we've never had problems. I don't know if I agree with you. Okay? 
what do you do when you look at what Paul's saying here? And he's saying that you are called to share in the sufferings of the gospel. How do you feel about that? Does that even enter into your mind? Just so you know, this isn't the first time it's happened in America. Just so you know. Our history isn't as rosy as some people like to say it is. So, for instance, does anybody know how the state of Rhode Island started? Anybody know how the state of Rhode Island started? The founder of the colony of Rhode Island was a Baptist guy who lived in Massachusetts. And because he was Baptist, he was persecuted by the Congregationalists of Massachusetts, thrown in prison several times to the point that he fled the Massachusetts colony and went to what we have now as Rhode Island and established Rhode Island. Okay? So the very first, in fact, you'll see his statue in Rhode Island around the State House. The very first, he was a Baptist. Okay? Anybody know how Pennsylvania started? Who started Pennsylvania? Well, there's a certain dude because we say Pennsylvania. Uh, William Penn. Does any, okay, and he was a Quaker, okay? Yes, statues in Philadelphia. That's right, okay? Now, does anybody know why he started Pennsylvania? Why he was given permission by the king to start Pennsylvania? He was a Quaker who were being oppressed by the Puritans who are the Congregationalists. So when he started Pennsylvania, one of the things that he emphasized was religious freedom. So why do you think of all the states in the, in the Union, have you noticed that we have the most, in Pennsylvania, unique churches of anywhere else? We have the Amish churches, we have the Mennonite churches, we have Swedish churches, we have Italian churches, we have different types of Catholic churches, whether they're Polish Catholic or, 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 or not, and different, depending on Byzantine rites and so forth. Have you noticed that when you drive around our communities, you'll see significant numbers of different kinds of churches? Like, where did those churches come? I didn't even know those churches existed. Where did they come from? Why did that happen? In fact, you'll, if you'll see, Pennsylvania has a significant number of Catholics. Why? Because when they came to the United States, when it was the colonies, Pennsylvania was the only one that would take them because of religious freedom. So I'm just trying to let you know, persecution of Christians is normal in our history. But now we've gotten to the place where we think it's abnormal to go through that. Did you understand what I'm saying? We think it's abnormal, but what I want you to see is from the Bible, every book of the New Testament talks about that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to what for your faith? Suffer. So, but yet we think it's strange. Did you understand what I'm saying? We think it's strange 
But here's the interesting thing. Look at that, that phrase there. Peter is, what's that word? Called. Appointed to that. So here's the hardest one that I want you to understand. You are appointed to suffer for your faith. Now, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? I mean, honestly, tell me what your thoughts are. Because this seems kind of radical because we just assume that it would always be the way it is, but it's not. Did you? Yes, that is part of suffering. We haven't been persecuted yet. Not yet. But that's probably coming. If you ask how I feel about it, I don't want to suffer. Yes. But I do believe that in the suffering, I will share my the story of Jesus with people, and possibly people might become safe. So I'm doing what God wants me to do, even okay. if it's suffering. All right, okay. I guess what I'm trying to get, you're exactly right, Bruce. So I guess what I'm trying to get from you is an understanding because I've watched this in 30 years of ministry, okay? That when we, we kind of, we know what we're talking about here, we, we have it on the peripheral level of our brain. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. But in the practicality of our lives every day, when it happens, we're like, why are you letting this happen to me, God? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through this difficulty? Because suffering is not just, to be honest with just to add to what you're saying here, Bruce, okay? Because what you said is correct. Suffering for Jesus is not just what we endure from other people. Suffering for the sake of the faith is also what you endure from who else? Satan. And he does what? Attack us, and he can affect your health. Just look at Job, right? Or he can affect other areas of your life. But what I find is is that in church today, we've some whether we, we'd like to look at the Pentecostal prosperity theologians on TV and say, "Well, they're pretty wacky, you know. You're pretty wacky." But we've embraced a form of that. We think that we should be blessed materially. We think we should be blessed health-wise, and not have any problems. And if problems happen, God, you're letting me down. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and I guess I'm trying to emphasize to you that suffering is a part of our lives. And we've got to learn that and rest in him in the midst of our suffering. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because I'm going to be honest with you. When I came to Christ in 1985, I've noticed that I, I wasn't aware of it then, but I'm, I guess I'm more aware of it now. Okay, 33 years later, all right? In 1985, it was not uncommon to hear a discussion in church about why does God allow suffering? Think back for a moment, all right? Those of you who were in church back in the 80s, okay? Some of our older folks here. Am I right in saying that? It was not uncommon to hear a speaker come and try to help people to understand suffering from the Bible. Now, okay, fast forward now 30 plus years, and you don't hear that on the radio anymore. 
You would hear that on the radio, not just in your church. You would hear speakers on the radio talking about the issue of suffering. But now we don't talk about it anymore because it's just assumed that we don't need to suffer. In fact, because we've got this assumption that we don't need to suffer, when suffering happens, rather than approaching it from a biblical standpoint, we react towards it like this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening to us. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, if you bear the name of Jesus, you've got that bullseye on your chest. Okay, all right. And, and also they feel like if they preach on that, they're not going to be able to reach people because who wants to come join a faith where you're suffering? Yeah, and I, I understand that. And yes, that is happening, Bruce. But here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just no, they're not right. Yeah. But, but here's what I would say to them, okay? Here's what I've realized. Whether or not they speak on it doesn't change the reality. Right. And the reality is, is everybody's going to suffer some way, whether it's for your faith or a period. You know what I'm saying? All you got to look into your Who here does not have a family member that's not touched by a health issue? Who here, does, who here has a family that somebody in the family doesn't end up dying and you go through the grief process? We all, we all suffer in some form or another, right? Who here hasn't had somebody go to work and have a boss that's a jerk? You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, I know you're a boss, but even you have a boss, okay? I'm a jerk sometimes. Okay, you know what I'm saying? I'm not picking on you, Bruce, but what I'm saying is stuff happens, right? And it especially happens if you are a believer. And, and, and so what I've found is, is that the mamsy-pamsy not addressing it doesn't do anybody any good because if you address it, the proper way of addressing suffering is, is that you recognize, yes, I'm going to suffer for Jesus, but I find my strength and my grace in who? Jesus. Yes. My, what did he say to Paul? Paul said, take this problem away from me. Three times I've asked the Lord to remove it from me. And he said, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God comes to him. So if we don't address it, like what you're saying, because it's not a popular thing, we're not telling people how to cope with it. So then what we have happened, and I've seen this happen, I've seen people who've come to our church in the 17 years of being here, and then something tragic happens and you never see them again. Because they could not wrap their brain around why God would allow that to happen to them. For folks, it happened to them because you live in a fallen world. Did you understand what I'm saying? You live in a fallen world. And so that's, what I, that's why I'm, I spend a little bit of time here is because I want you to realize you and I are appointed to this. We're called to this, to, to share in the sufferings. Now, he's going to talk about that calling a little bit in verses 9 through 10. Paul states that Jesus saves believers and has called them with a holy calling. So here's what I want you to understand. Every one of you here has a holy calling. Did you understand me? Every one of you here, when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, he has a holy calling on you. Now, what happens is, is that we think in terms of calling, because we use the same terminology, 
in reference to people who've been called to be preachers or missionaries. Yeah, it's the same terminology. That's a little bit more specific of a calling, but in a general sense, he's talking here about that God has given, has a holy calling upon your life for now. So I want you to stop for a moment. When you got saved, you didn't get saved just to make sure that you went to heaven. You got saved because from the foundation of the world, God had a purpose for your life. Wherever it is, if you live in Kerwinsville, in Kerwinsville, if you work somewhere, where you work, he's got a calling on your life. But we don't, we don't think of that. We think in terms of special people in the church. No, no, we're not talking about You're the special person in the church because you're saved and you have a calling. You have a calling to serve God. So it's a holy calling. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. Ah, that can't be true, George, because you don't know how I've messed up in my life. Well, he points this out. The calling is not based on our works. If it was based on our works, folks, would any of us have a calling? If it was based upon our works, would any of us have a calling? Would we? No. No, so... God's got to save you and put a holy, holy calling on your life. The calling was based upon the purpose and grace that was given to believers by Jesus Christ. Now, that you need to take note of. You were given a holy calling for a purpose. Who determined that purpose? Who determined the purpose? Yeah. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's because God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for you as a mom. He has a purpose for you as a person in your family unit. He has a purpose for you in the community. He has a purpose in your workplace. He's got a purpose for you being a believer right where you're at. Do you understand? And he gives you not just the purpose, but he gives you grace. What's grace? Getting what you don't deserve. He gives you grace each day to fulfill that purpose. Isn't that awesome? Listen, so many people are afraid of dying. And I understand that. There are times when I'm afraid of dying. But I want you to hear me. You're going to live as long as God, if you're a believer, you're going to live as long as God has a what for you? Purpose. Purpose for you. Purpose. You don't need to be afraid. As long as you have a purpose, God has a reason for you, and he'll give you grace. That calling is assured because Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought immortality. Isn't that amazing? It's assured that you have that calling to serve him because why? He's abolished death. Death is just a passing thing, folks. You're going to continue to live forever. Do you understand? Because he's given to you now immortality. Do you know when salvation begins? Anybody know when salvation begins? When salvation begin? You said it, Bruce. The minute you believe, not when you die. Salvation begins the moment you put your faith in Christ and his finished work and who he is. 
That's when salvation began. It's not something later on. Salvation is for now. And he's abolished death. In fact, they can kill the body. Big deal, because you're going to get a what? A new body. By the way, you don't want to take this body with you in heaven, do you? You complain about it all the time anyhow. Did you know what I'm saying? He's going to give you a new body. Now, he states that, talking about Paul, he states that he was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher for the Gentiles. So that was his calling. Paul says, my calling was is, you know, I'm a preacher, and I'm an apostle, and I'm a teacher to the Gentiles. That was his specific calling. And when God was done with him, he took him home. And here's what he says. He is not ashamed because he has believed and is convinced of God's keeping. He's not ashamed. Listen, why are you worried about what that unbeliever says about you? Because that unbeliever doesn't see things right. He doesn't have the understanding that only the Holy Spirit gives him. The Holy Spirit's given that to you, right? The unbeliever's eyes are blinded to the truth. He's believing the lie of who? Satan. So why are you worried about what he says? Because you know the truth. The Holy Spirit affirms the truth as you read it in your heart. So you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be ashamed. And you need to just simply be convinced that God is going to take care of you. Now, he's going to give us, based upon what he's saying here, some encouragement in verses 13 through 18. Look with me at verse 13. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me among them, Phygelius and Hermogenes." The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day and that he may know well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. All right, so let's talk about encouragement here. First of all, Timothy was to hold fast to sound teaching that he heard from Paul. Hold fast to sound teaching. I um, I just uh, recently came to a conclusion that what really needs to happen in our churches again is we need to get back to sound teaching. Do do, do you understand what I'm saying? Because what's out there, if you listen to the radio, and I listen to different preachers and stuff, what's out there is either too theologically deep, okay? Like you got to listen to it five times over to understand the first sentence, okay? Or 
That's on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, it's so shallow, anybody could give that message from another religion. Did you understand? It's just pop psychology. And what I've become more and more convinced of is what people need is not feel-good messages or even heady messages. Did you understand? But what they need is teaching. They need biblical teaching that talks about, like what we just talked about, about suffering. It's going to be a part of your life. They need teaching about affirming what salvation is, what does that mean for your life. They need teaching like what we're talking about, Paul's been talking about here, about what your calling is. They need that teaching again. Why? Because what I'm finding is is that, in I guess, the North American church, we're starved for truth. Did you know what I'm saying? We're starved for truth. And so here, 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 here's Paul encouraging Timothy, what, hold fast to good teaching, to sound teaching that you've heard from me, he said. What does that mean for you and I? You and I are to hold fast to what the apostles' teaching. What is that? The New Testament. Isn't that the apostles' teaching? Yeah. Hold fast to the teaching from the New Testament. He goes on. He is to hold to the teaching in faith and love, which comes through the relationship with Jesus Christ. See, how you know what you're being taught is real is because you're communing in your personal time with God when you're reading his word and you're praying, you're communing with God through the relationship, right? And so it affirms the teaching that you're getting. Just don't accept it because George gives it to you. Go talk to him about it. And he'll affirm it in your heart. He'll affirm it in your heart. In fact, here's what I want you to notice. Look at verse 14. Timothy was to keep the commitment that was given to him. Timothy was to keep the commitment that was given to him. The good thing which was committed to you, keep. You have, each one of us here has been given a commitment. What is that? Faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel. You've been given that. What what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with this commitment that you've been given? Share it, okay? Because if you want to, I'm thinking back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says you're a light, and a light, you don't hide a light, what, under a bushel. You don't hide it under your bed. You set it out so others can see it. You've been given a commitment of the gospel because of its impact on you. You wanted to share it with who? Other people, right? Okay? Yeah, but you say, George, I've tried. I can't do it. Well, He could only keep it through what? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. See, the only way that you can keep that commitment of the gospel in your life and even share it with others is because of who? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's just stop for a moment. You say, well, George, I've shared the gospel with people. I'm not a good, I'm not doing a good job sharing. First of all, it's not your job to try to convince them. Who convinces them? Spirit. You're just a what? A mouthpiece. You're just the ambassador. You're just the one who's making the proclamation. It's the Holy Spirit who what? Opens their eyes to the truth. It's the Holy Spirit that what? Works in their heart to accept it. Okay? 
So you can keep this commitment of the gospel through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's the point he's making here. So he's going to talk now about some things that he's going through. So first of all, he talks about being forsaken. Paul points out that all which were in Western Asia Minor have turned away from him. All which were in Western Asia Minor have turned away from him. That happens, doesn't it? How many of you have ever had a close friend that all of a sudden it seemed like everything in the world was going against them and they found themselves in trouble and then all of a sudden they just seemed like they were very what? Alone. Because they were. Because nobody was there for them anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what Paul's going through here. Okay? So he talks about all those. His friends had, the friends that had forsaken Paul included Phygelius and her, Hermogenes. I think that's the, the term there. These are Greek terms. Okay? Greek names, which thankfully we don't use anymore. We might use Phil, but not Phygelius, okay? Look now, he did say, though, that somebody did care for him. Paul asked the Lord to grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because of his care. In fact, you'll see in your notes there is a note there about Onesiphorus. Now, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul and would often refresh him. He was not ashamed of Paul and would often refresh Paul. Why was he not ashamed of Paul? Because wherever Paul went, people were out to what? Kill him. Do you understand? He suffered all the time for the faith. But Onesiphorus was not ashamed of him and would do what it took to take care of Paul. And when Onesiphorus arrived in Rome, he actually sought out where Paul was being held. Think about that. Here's a guy from Ephesus. That'd be like somebody from Kerwinsville. You heard, you heard, let's hear that. Let's say, let's say, uh, our friend Rob went, got in trouble in New York. Okay. City. And we all hear that Rob is in the clink somewhere in New York City. And so Bruce travels to New York City. But he doesn't know which jail he's in. So he actively scours New York City trying to figure out which jail Rob's in. That's, that, that, that's called being dedicated to a guy, right? All the rest of us would be like, I'm sorry, Rob. I don't know where you're at, buddy. I'm not going in there looking. It's New York City. Forget it. I'm going to stay here, you know? We would abandon you, Rob. Okay? But Bruce would seek you out. Did you know what I'm saying? That's what's going on here. Okay, a fellow Eagle fan. Yeah, because the rest of us, you know, we like somebody else. Okay? So, all right. So this is what Onesiphorus did. Now here's Paul's gratitude. Paul prayed that Onesiphorus would find mercy from Jesus in the last day. Now what's the last day? What's that referred to? We've talked about that before. What's the last day? Anybody got a clue? Judgment. Yes. When Jesus comes back. Do you understand? And he sets all things right. Paul was praying that he would receive mercy from Jesus because of his actions towards Paul. 
So Paul states that Timothy knew very well how Onesiphorus cared for Paul in Ephesus. Next week, we're going to talk about enduring. We're going to hear from the one who's gone through much as he calls us to endure. Because the fact of the matter is, do we need to endure, folks? Yeah, we need to endure. Endure. 